I know it's been a long time and I know I always say that I'll come back within a week or two and then I never do because I don't know in my Instagram followers diagnosed me with ADHD and they're probably right but this time it's because I went on vacation to visit my sister and my best friend in California and then I got back and I got sick and though the test said I did not have COVID I suspect that I did have COVID and if I didn't I had something similar that left me with a similar sort of like crazy brain fog afterwards I could not focus for shit I'm now at the two week mark um and I haven't been sick for over I haven't been quote-unquote sick for over a week but I have been unable to think straight it's been crazy um but I am back and I am excited to share this episode with you I recorded this oh probably way over a month ago at this point but today I'm sharing with you my conversation with Lindsay Lockett who is a trauma educator and coach and she's the host of the holistic trauma healing podcast I'm reading her bio right now and it says after leaving behind the dogmas of fundamentalist religion we're going to talk all about that in our conversation and toxic wellness culture Lindsay experienced her own dark night of the soul and during the healing journey that followed she realized that trauma affects us as whole people and therefore we need to heal as whole people so the last episode was with Leslie Schilling all about how the Christian religion should not be anything to do with diet culture or anything to do with shame or anything to do with perfectionism. Um, And that was sort of looking at Christianity from inside and wanting to, to heal those spaces. Lindsay has a different story. Lindsay grew up um, as a fundamentalist Christian and was very traumatized by it. And finally in her adulthood, she, um, she got out and she's going to tell that story and how that brought her to the work that she does today. It's an amazing story. Like it's, it, 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 this is a long one, as you can see. Um, so I'm not going to give a very long, um, intro here, but it's going to be great. I really hope you enjoy it. Before I start playing the conversation, I just want to tell you that <sighs> I just want to tell you that I have started writing on Substack. Now, if you've been around here for a long time, you may remember the days when I tried to make Patreon work and I didn't make it work. I tried, I failed, I gave up. If you listen to old episodes, you can still hear me saying like, come, come over to my Patreon. Um, Substack is different though. It's more geared towards writers, um, though it also has a podcast capability. So you may be listening to this on Substack. Because I'm going to release this episode. I have, I'm going to migrate this podcast to be hosted on Substack. And I've been told that um, it won't change anything with the people who have subscribed through iTunes or Spotify. So if you're listening through iTunes or Spotify, nothing should change for you. Um, hopefully. <laughs> but that's it. And if it is going to, then I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to like, I'm not going to just disappear. Um, but I've been told by I have this contact um, at Substack. She's on like the writer development team and she's helping me kind of like get my bearings at Substack 
and I'm really excited. So I have free posts, I have paid posts, and then I'm going to have this podcast there too and hopefully do a lot of other fun things. Um, I'm trying to move away from Instagram. I love Instagram. I'm not leaving Instagram, but I feel very uncomfortable having Instagram being my main um, kind of like business model marketing strategy because they are so, um, I was going to say litigious, but that's not the word at all. But they're so like, um, they're, they're, they're so, what's the word? Like what, I don't, I don't think there is a word, but I want to say sensory. Like they, they censor posts, they, they shadow ban you, they punish you. I'm punished still from a allegedly in, inciting violence by sharing a Q&A answer, asking what I should do for my my 34th birthday and the 10th anniversary of the fuck it diet where someone said, eat cake and punch someone in the nuts, to which I responded saying, interesting, meaning what the fuck? And they flagged my account for inciting violence and I still can't do so many things on Instagram. So anyway, I hate Instagram. I love Instagram. I'm addicted to Instagram. It's ruining my life. It's made my life amazing. It's made my life horrible. So... I am trying to have Substack be another way where I can connect with people. Hopefully I can make some money there. Um, hopefully I can create a really awesome community that is not censored, um, that is away from all of the toxic drama that I've been trying to uh, get away from on Instagram. And um, hopefully it'll be really awesome. So if you want to check it out, I'll link it in the show notes, but it's carolineduner.substack.com. And I only have a couple post-ups, uh, two are free, a couple are paid. I'm going to have free and paid every, I'd like to say every week, but as you know, as a podcast listener, what can we really expect? So definitely like a couple times a month, Subs- uh, writing is easier than podcasting. Podcasting takes more energy and equipment and like somehow it's just harder. So um, yeah. If you want to check that out, if you may be listening to this on Substack because I'm going to release this on Substack. But if you're not, you can go over to carolineduner.substack.com. Um, you can sign up for free. You will get my post straight to your email inbox. And uh, hopefully it'll be a better experience than my experience with Patreon. And that's all I, that's my hope. That's my wish for myself. Am I selling it well? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think I am, but I, I'm really, I'm actually really excited about it. So hopefully, uh, hopefully it all works out great, especially if I have the podcast there. I mean, then I'm going to definitely be there. So I think it's all going to be worth it. Okay. Please enjoy this conversation with Lindsay Lockett. I'm not even going to have an outro at the end. Just know, because it's so long, just know I'm going to link all of the things that she talks about, all the ways to find Lindsay and the way to find the Substack in the show notes. That's all you need to know. Um, and I will talk to you next time. I have a lot of great guests lined up after this episode. May take me a little while to get them out. I'm having surgery. Here's the other thing. I'm having surgery um, next week, April 8th. I'm getting a stupid revision on my stupid breast reduction. It's a whole thing. Um, I'll talk about it more. I'm sure I'm going to post, um, if you have not read the saga yet, I'm going to be posting about it on the Substack. It's going to be a paid post behind the paywall because it's very upsetting to me. Um, oh, and the paywall it's, it's $7 a month. That's what, that's what the paywall is on Substack. So anyway, that might set me back a little bit. I may be a little behind as usual on podcast stuff. 
but uh, I will be back and it's going to be some really awesome guests. So I'll talk to you soon. And please, please enjoy this conversation with Lindsay Lockett. You know, people, most people are probably listening to this right now. Well, they are listening to this and not watching it because I only do audio, but Lindsay and I realized, and it was Lindsay who was like, uh, Caroline, are we wearing the exact same navy blue gap long sleeve shirt? And we are. And then we went to the next level and realized we're both also wearing navy blue leggings. Yep. We are. I don't know what that means, but I don't know either. It's it's the new moon in Pisces. Maybe. <laughs> yep. I don't know. I don't know either. I just I'm just bull, I'm just gonna bullshit that and act like I it's know. It's always what I'm the moon. About. It's always the moon. It's always whatever phase the moon whatever is. Whatever it is. It's always that. Yeah. Um, so I'm so excited to talk to you today. Will you give everyone, I, you know, I have, I will have already done my little intro <laughs> that people will have already heard, but will you, inter- will you kind of talk about the work that you do uh, briefly? And then I want to get into your like full story too. Cause I think. Yeah. Really- yeah. Yeah. So my, my work, I call my work or the universe calls my work uh, holistic trauma healing. I actually did not come up with that on my own. Um, it was given to me and it's like taking my own experience of experimenting and living in like toxic wellness culture, also doing like therapy, like talk therapy, mental health therapy and EMDR too. And, um, having my own like experiences with psychiatry And then realizing that all of those things like basically made me fragment myself because even though at different points, they were all helpful in my journey. Like I never felt like they saw me as a whole person. And, um, so my work is I have a podcast. It's called the holistic trauma healing podcast. Um, I, on Instagram, I call myself like a trauma educator and coach. Um, and basically like to distill down my work in the simplest form. It's like, I found healing at the intersection of consciousness and nervous system work. And so that is my primary focus. And that is what I have found to be the most holistic because holistic doesn't necessarily equal all natural, like holistic is whatever addresses you as a whole person, Mm -hmm. which is why I'm not anti-psychiatry. I'm not anti-therapy. I'm not anti like anything. I am pro whatever addresses you as a whole person. Um, but for me, my work heavily, heavily focuses on awareness and consciousness and then working with the nervous system. Mm -hmm. So that's it in a nutshell. I love it. And, uh, you know, anyone who has read the fuck it diet knows that there's a whole section, the emotional section where I talk about trauma and embodiment and how that gets in the way, not only with healing your relationship with food, but literally everything, everything. So, and I, and I don't think I've actually talked to many people, especially on the podcast where we've actually, um, explored that and like talked about, talked about it, honestly. So, so I'm so excited. (laughs) I need to go close my front door because Molly is going to bark. So, okay. All right. I'll stand by. I love you, stinky poo-poo. Oh, your front door must be like right there because that was super fast. It's it is the front door is right there, but the you know the storm door is was was the only thing that was closed, and she can see out, and she, you know she just barks at anything at the the C A T. 
Oh yeah, but thankfully the CAT is not in the front, but she could, she, we could have this problem in the back. It's just, there's, she runs the show. She runs this podcast. Yeah. Um, so let's, so I, I think, you know, I think that telling story, like personal stories is actually like one of the most effective ways to communicate and to like teach. Um, so I would love to hear your story and how you actually found the healing that you found with mm-hmm. nervous system work. Okay. I would love to share. So, um, and I could spend like two hours telling my full story. I'm sure I'll I'll give you the cliff notes. Um, yeah. So I was raised, um, in the evangelical South in the Bible belt. Um, very, very, very fundamentalist, uh, conservative Christianity. Um, my biological parents divorced before I was two years old. So I don't have any memory of them being together or living together with both of my parents. My mom was a single mom until I was seven. And then she married my stepdad who had only been sober from alcohol for three months whenever they met. Um, and then he had a son. And so my mom and my stepdad and his son and me then moved like six hours North. And then my stepdad decided that like, AA was not where he wanted to be in his recovery. And he chose the Southern Baptist church instead. And through going to the church, like I started receiving messages about, um, like sin, which was a really new concept for me. And, um, when I was eight years old, I went to a vacation Bible school and I vividly remember, the old man pastor in a gray suit, like getting up in the big fancy stained glass window sanctuary and talking to a room full of kids and being like, if you died tonight, do you know where you would go? And that was my first like introduction to, oh my God, like, I I don't know where I would go. Like, I have no idea. I was eight. Talk about like, shame-based and fear-based. Yeah. Talk about, talk about a little bit of nervous system activation and, you know, like suddenly I'm confronted with my own mortality at eight years old. And like, am I good? Yeah. Am I, and morality, am I good enough to be immortal? You know? And so my answer to that question was like, no, I I don't know where I would go if I died tonight. But of course the, the old man pastor in the gray suit had the answer for me. And that was to pray and ask Jesus into my heart and to forgive all of my sins and be my Lord and savior. And so I did that. And at home, like my home environment was that, as I told you, my stepfather decided that AA was not what he wanted to be doing. And so he started doing church stuff instead. And it didn't really work well for him because he wasn't working through any kind of steps or anything. And so we were one family at church when we were like dressed up and like everybody was well-behaved and all of that. And then we were a totally different family at home. And my stepfather was, uh, verbally, emotionally, and physically abusive. Um, and he was just like, very angry, very narcissistic. I mean, he was never wrong ever. Like everyone else was always wrong. Um, my mom would try to like come in the middle of my stepdad and me and sort of try to be the referee. And that didn't go over very well. I never saw my stepdad like physically hurt my mom though, but it was, it was me and and his son that he really like 
you know, he would, he would rip his belt out of his belt loops and you could hear it like make that sound. And then he would just start swinging. And there were times when, um, like my mom would have to write me a note to get excused from PE because I would have like bruises on my legs and she didn't want me to change in the locker room with the other girls in middle school. Um, because then they would see the bruises on my legs. And so I just learned that like, you hid all of that stuff. Like you, you hid it and you didn't talk about it. Um, I think my saving grace for my whole life has been my ability to use my voice to stand up for myself. And so I like my stepfather was a very big man, like five eleven. I was a very tiny, petite little child. Um, and so I couldn't defend myself physically whenever he would start going at me with the belt or like verbally abusing me or whatever. I couldn't defend myself physically, but I, I would use my mouth and I would like talk back to him. And I would, um, I mean, he called me a smart aleck. Like he, he told me, I, he used to say that I would let my crocodile or my alligator mouth overload my hummingbird, butt. like you have this big mouth and this tiny body and it's not okay. And, um, but I, I would always stand up for myself. Like and I would always question him, like, how can you go to church and be an usher at church and then come home and do this? Like, I, I would call him on his shit when I was like nine years old. Um, so I've always had the ability to like stand up for myself and really like point out bullshit whenever bullshit's there. And I think that that was really my saving grace. Um, so fast forward, I was like super into purity culture, which was a big thing in the South in like the late nineties, early two thousands. When I was 12 years old, I signed my first true love weights pledge. So it was like a little card that I signed promising that I would remain a virgin until I was married. And I wouldn't think about sex or talk about sex or lust after another boy, or like, I was going to keep myself like holy and pure until I was married. And I signed that when I was 12. So there was a lot of shame around my body and sex was off limits, like completely off limits. Um, but of course, you know, every kid goes through a sexual awakening when they're going through puberty and you get curious about your body and about how things work and how things feel. And so I always had a boyfriend and like my boyfriends and I would mess around and then I would feel so much guilt and so much shame afterwards. Like, even though it felt good there was still this like voice in the back of my head. That's like, God's watching, like Jesus is not approving of what you're doing, you know? And so then we would like get done, you know, making out or dry humping or something. And then I would be like, we have to pray and ask God to forgive us. And we can never do this again. And then of course we would do it again. These were, were teenagers. Your, were your boyfriends also <laughs> yes. um, religion as you? Yes. I don't think they cared as much as I did though. Right. Right. You know, you internalized it more than they did probably. Well, I think there's more pressure on women than there is on men. You know, it's like, it's like the, the burden of purity is placed more on women than it is on men. It's so weird. That doesn't even make sense. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Well, and I mean, the other weird thing was like, um, after I graduated high school, I met my now husband, um, like two months after I graduated from high school. So I was 18 and he was very heavily involved in church as well. He was actually like a youth pastor whenever I met him and he grew up in the same conservative fundamentalist evangelical. His, his dad is actually a a full-time Baptist pastor and has been for like 35 years. Um, and so we had really similar beliefs, which was a commonality that we shared that made the relationship feel really safe because we had all of these shared beliefs about things. 
Um, but like, and we messed around too. Like, I'll be totally honest. Like my, if my mother-in-law ever hears this, like she's probably going to flip out, but she probably won't hear it. She won't because my <laughs> podcast is called the fuck it podcast. Yeah, it's, you're right. You're right. Listen. You're right. She won't. Um, so thank you for that. <laughs> but yeah, so David and I, like we messed around a lot too. And there was still, even though I knew I was going to marry him, like there was still so much fucking guilt and shame and feeling bad about it. And then there was added pressure to like, keep my body covered because there's all kinds of messaging about women's bodies in evangelical Christianity. Like if, like I wasn't allowed to wear spaghetti strap tank tops or two-piece bathing suits or like any of that, because if a boy looked at my body and was like, Oh, she's hot. Like that was my fault, right. you know? So I had to keep my brothers from stumbling by covering up my, my own self. And like, for a second, I was like, I thought you literally meant brother brothers. Like oh no, no, no. That's what you, that's what you call your, like the, the I people was like, in- ew, why should you have to keep your brothers from like lusting after your body? Jeez. <laughs> no, when you're in the church, like the people that you go to church with, you're, you're all part of God's family and they are right. your brothers and sisters in Christ. Right. Okay. So right. yeah, I'm really glad you asked me to clarify that. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like I realized I was like, she only has one brother, I think, or stepbrother. Right. Oh, I have two, I have two brothers. Okay. Yeah. I have two younger brothers. I have my stepbrother and then my, my mom and my stepdad actually had a baby together after they got married. So we were a yours, mine and ours, uh, family. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually have like great relationships with my brothers and, um, right. That's awesome. Yeah. Even though my mom and my stepdad have been divorced for like 15 years, um, his son and I, uh, my stepbrother, we still keep in touch and he still comes and visits us like every year. And, so we what saw about your dad, like, was he never in the church? Was that ever like a, like a place of like respite? Oh, that's a good question. So that's another layer of complexity because my dad is not in church and my dad, my, my biological dad is like this super cool, really open-minded, like libertarian, like fuck the government kind of guy. And, um, you would really like him. I remember you talking <laughs> I remember you just saying like, you can only store a lot of gasoline if you have a lot of guns like my dad. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so my dad, like he, his whole life, he's, he's one of those people that's not afraid to like live life to its fullest. Um, so I have a lot of memories of being like a little girl and he, they would have big parties at the house and there would be like drunk people. And my dad is like an avid weed smoker and used to grow his own pot and like all that kind of stuff. Well, when I moved six hours away from him and started going to this church and they started telling me about sin, like in my head, I was like, Oh my God, my biological father does all the things that they're saying. So what I did, Caroline is when I was eight years old, shortly after I asked Jesus into my heart, um, I told my dad, I didn't want to see him anymore. And I really thought that I was doing the right thing because I wanted to please God. And I didn't want his life, his sinful lifestyle air quotes to, influence me. Uh, And so I actually did not have any kind of contact with my biological father at all for 20 years. Oh my God. Lindsay! And when I was in my late twenties, um, we reconnected 
and have a great relationship now. We talk on the phone like once a week and it was, it was like, and my dad, I mean, the, the men, the locket men, um, have like, it's like an ancestral thing with like anger and they all have like, like heart things. So like high blood pressure, um, like COPD, like stuff like that. And, um, my grandfather has a pacemaker, like all the locket men ancestrally have like heart issues. Um, but, and my dad does too, but whenever my dad and I like reconnected for the first time after 20 years, like I didn't know how to be like, so I, I mean, I just came out and I was like, dad, like I was an eight-year-old trying to make an adult decision and the adults in my life, like weren't being adults. Right. <laughs> and, and I'm really sorry. Like I was apologizing for this choice that I made when I was eight years old. Um, and I had the perspective of now being a mother myself and how much that would shatter me if my kids did that, you know? Um, and so I just told him, I was like, I'm so sorry. I, I made this very grown up decision that I had no business making. And because my mom and my stepdad were so heavily involved in the church, like they supported my decision instead of encouraging me to maintain a relationship with you. And my dad, like being the angry, like high blood pressure guy that he is, like, he was just like, baby, it's all in the past. Let's just start fresh. Like there was no need to like hash it out or him tell me how much it hurt him. It was just like, it's all water under the bridge. He under, and he understood, thankfully, like an adult that he, he was the adult, you were the child. And in that, in your relationship, that's still the case, you know, that's amazing. And also just for everyone listening, like encouraging anyone, especially a child to cut ties with a family member that's good to them is yeah cult behavior. Like, yeah, it totally it totally fucking is. And I believe, especially Southern evangelical Christianity, is absolutely the most widely accepted cult in the world. Like it really is. And you know, I, I really think that the trauma of having the stepfather that I had would not have been as great if I had continued having a relationship with my biological father, because he would have been the like safe, Mm -hmm. the safe parent. Yeah. And you know, I mean like my biological, like my dad, I mean, he, you know, he grew like, he's a rancher from central Texas. Like his, his sons like grew up drinking when they were like 14 and like they did ranch work and they, took a break by drinking a six pack in the afternoon when they were like 14 years old, you know? So he's not a rule follower. He's very much like live and let live. Like these kids, it's better for them to drink with me around than it is for them to go drink by themselves. You know, like he's just that way. He's just really easygoing and like, um, anti-authoritarian and like, he's just an amazing person in his own way. And I really do think my childhood would have been better if, if the adults in my life hadn't been so supportive of me cutting ties with my dad. And I'm sure on some level too, I mean, it was like religion, but also like, oh, it's so much easier if we don't have to like manage like Lindsay going back and forth between like six hour difference and everything. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think it was just really convenient, Mm -hmm. um, for my parents, um, my, my mom and my stepdad. So, um, yeah. I mean, I, I love my relationship with my dad now. And I feel like I see a soft side of my relation, my dad, that a lot of people don't see. Um, 
And it's just, it's really, really special to me. And I'm so thankful that he's in my life again. And, um, yeah, so I guess going forward, I mean, David and I, we met right after high school, we got married when I was 19. Um, like had my first baby when I was 20, had my second baby when I was 22, very heavily involved in the church. Um, David was a worship leader. So he's a, he's a musician. And so he like played guitar and sang and led worship on Sunday mornings in our church. And, um, the message for me was that now that I was like (laughs) the whole point growing up of all this purity and virginity and all of that was because my purpose in life was to be a godly wife and mother. And so, um, that's why if you've ever wondered why girls in the South get married so young, it's because you're not allowed to have sex before you're married. And also you're told your purpose isn't to have a career. It's to serve God and your husband and raise godly children. And so the way that you accomplish that and still get to have sex is you get married when you're like 20, you know? Right. Um, so, uh, but remember I told you at the beginning, I've always had a mouth. Like right. I've always been able to use my voice and that is a no, no for women in the evangelical church. Like women, you belong in the nursery, you belong teaching Sunday school, like you right. belong supporting your husband, but you do not belong like standing up on the stage and preaching a sermon or teaching, especially if you're teaching men, that's like a big no, no. Mm. So, um, I tried, oh my God, I tried so hard to fit in that box. Like I, there's this fucking Bible verse. It's like first Peter three, four. That's like a woman with a gentle and quiet spirit is pleasing to the Lord. (laughs) And I was like, God, please make me gentle. Please make me quiet. Like, please, because I just wasn't. And I thought there was something wrong with me. And now I can look back and be like, no, dude, you were like, like, that's who you are. And, and you had to put yourself inside that box to, to fit in with that expectation of you. And so you know, I learned over the course of 12 years of full-time ministry with my husband. That was, that was how long we were in full-time ministry together. Um, I learned that like, I couldn't be who I really was because who I really was was sinful and God was disappointed with it. And I wasn't a Proverbs 31 woman. So anyone listening, if you don't know what that is, just Google Proverbs 31 and go down the rabbit hole. Um, But yeah, so then in 2014, yeah, 2014, um, I watched a documentary one afternoon whenever I was folding laundry while my Christian homeschooled children were taking a nap, um, folding laundry, watched a documentary that was called The Bible Tells Me So. It was on Netflix then. I'm not sure if it's on Netflix anymore, but anyway, by the end of that documentary, like my jaw was on the floor and it was all about how, um, like Christians have been really homophobic. Um, so I was raised to be like extremely homophobic. Um, like being gay was an abomination and a sin and you were going to hell and you better not even associate with people who are gay because like they will rub off their cooties on you and you will sin too. Like that was really how I was raised. And I shit you not, like I watched this documentary and I was homophobic when the documentary started. And I'm not even joking. By the end of the documentary, I was like, okay. I don't believe that about gay people anymore. Like it was like massive immediate shift. Like I went from homophobic to not homophobic in one documentary. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. So that's what a good documentary can do. <laughs> right. It really can. So then David got home from the church that afternoon 
And we put the kids to bed that night. And I was like, you have to watch this documentary with me. You have to. And he was like, I'm not interested in that. Like, I already know what I believe about gay people. I'm not interested. And I was like, please, please watch it. So he was like, okay. So he, we, I watched the documentary two times in one day, first by myself, second time with him. And by the end of it, I looked over and his jaw was on the floor. And he also made that immediate shift. Amazing. And so both of us, like we were 30 at that time. So we'd never really dared to question our faith before. Um, because in a cult, you don't ask questions. You don't think critically. Um, you trust the authorities. You do what you're told. You obey. You sit down you shut up, especially if you're a woman. So that was like the door swung wide open and both of us were just like, what else are we wrong about? Like, what else do we not no, <laughs> this is such a good story. Like, <laughs> oh my god, such a good story. So, like, we we did like a little bit of a like uh, undercover deconstruction of our faith because he was still employed full time as a pastor, and because I was such a godly wife and mother, I didn't work outside the home. Right. I was the like stay at home mom, protecting her children by homeschooling them to keep them out of the secular world. So he would go to church and work during the day. And then at night he would come home and we would read books together and we would watch YouTube videos. We would watch other documentaries. We started questioning everything, like oh, the, validi so the validity it. of the Bible, like how the Bible's been misinterpreted, like, like marriage, monogamy. Like we started questioning everything. And about six months into it, we, we reached a point where we, we very much are people of integrity. And so we reached a point about six months in where we were like, we can no longer receive a salary from the church because it requires us to be outside of our integrity. Mm. So, um, we hatched a plan <laughs> and I want this movie. I want to watch this movie. <laughs> oh, Please sell that. your life rights. Oh my God. <laughs> So, um, we hatched a plan, um, because my whole family and his whole family who were evangelical Christians all lived in the Texas panhandle. And so we were together all the time and we were now on this journey with our faith where if we still had to be around evangelical family all the time, we were never going to be able to like fully go down this road. So thankfully, in addition to being a very talented musician, my husband is also a very talented computer nerd. And he maintained his abilities to like design websites and fix computers and build software and program and all of that. So he had no problems finding a job um, as a network administrator for a school that was in East Texas, which was perfect because we were also looking for land to buy. And we'd looked all over the Texas panhandle and hadn't found anything. So we were like, let's go to East Texas. And he got this job that made us eight hours away from our evangelical family. And I was 30, 31 years old. And it was like, for the first time in my life, I got to spread my wings. And like, we finally started establishing an identity as a family apart from our family. Um, and it was amazing. Well, we looked all over East Texas for land for about a year, still didn't find what we wanted. And like in March of 2015, I bet we had seen 20, 25 properties. Like I know our realtor was like completely annoyed with us. Um, and we went and saw this final property and my, my, um, 
not credentials, my criteria where I wanted at least five acres and three bedrooms. And I didn't care after that. Like, I didn't care if the house was falling apart. I didn't care if it was shitty, if it was old. Like, I'm like, I can fix all that. I want five acres and three bedrooms. So we never found it, but the very last house we saw was in an HOA on a cul-de-sac. It was on a quarter of an acre, had a swimming pool in the backyard, which I never even dreamed I would have. And we decided to make an offer on it. And I totally was like settling because I was like, well, we're not finding it here. We can't keep looking. Our realtor is annoyed with us. Mm -hmm. So let's just get this. And at like 2.30 that morning, we, we submitted the offer that night. And at like two 30 in the morning, I like sat up in bed, like wide awake. I slammed my hand on David next to me. And I was like, we can't buy that house. We can't buy it. And he was like, okay, why? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I don't know. I don't have an explanation for you, but I don't have a good feeling about it. We just can't buy it. Like, and he was like, okay. (laughs) And so at two 30 in the morning, I texted the realtor and I was like, I'm so sorry. I have no explanation for you, but please resend our offer. And I'm not even shitting you. Like in six weeks, we were moving to Northeastern Minnesota. We bought a house on five and a half acres with three bedrooms <laughs> in the woods. David uh, was able to get a job as a systems administrator for an organic food company, which was like totally in line with our lifestyle. And we also got a great company discount. Um, and we moved to Northeastern Minnesota in May of 2015. What brought you there again? I forget. Okay. So after I was like, we can't buy that house. Um, I completely, now I see it. I like completely opened up and took off all the caveats and control. And I was like, we don't have to live in Texas. We can live anywhere. We homeschool our kids. Like, why are we just, why are we just trying to live in Texas? Because I'll tell you why, because it's Texas forever. Right. 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 If you've ever watched Friday night lights, it's Texas Texas forever six, you know, like, um, so, so finally I was just like, we don't have to live in Texas. And he was like, so you're telling me I can look anywhere. And I was like, no, not anywhere. I don't want to live in the Southeast. I don't want to live in the Southwest. I don't want to live in California. I don't want to live in the desert. The Midwest wasn't even on my radar. Mm-hmm. I think people forget that the Midwest even exists. <laughs> so it wasn't even on my I'm radar. I'm so jealous that you live <laughs> like in the woods or like next to the woods. And it's magical for everyone listening there. So when I knew that I needed to move out of the city, uh, I, I also was like, I need land. I need land. I need land. And I was looking at all of these places, like in, in the suburbs of Philadelphia and sort of like out towards the country and I was striking out and everything is so, I mean, so expensive here. So I tried to get you to move here, Carolyn. I know that's what I was going to (laughs) say. And I was like going to visit you. I was like, Oh my God, I'm moving to Minnesota. Like I was, and then I saw this house and I just like knew that this is where I had to be right now, but Hey, like I could still be coming. There's a weird part of me. That's like, that doesn't, I don't feel like this is where I'm going to live forever. I really don't. But yeah. all right, whatever. Back, well, back to you, story. I mean, in all fairness, like you have to figure out how f- your process is like, I can't go live in the woods because I need to learn how to compost first. <laughs> oh yeah. That too. That and too. I need, and I need to figure out what I'm supposed to do with my leaves in the fall. Exactly. There's a lot for me to learn. And yeah. I also like, I wanted to be near my family. Yeah. You know? totally. If I was like, if it was me and a husband who I don't have, and we were like trying to figure out where to go, like, I think I would have been way more comfortable, like 
kind of like expanding further. I mean, I, I think there's a lumber sexual here where I live just waiting for you. Okay, we'll find him and tell him to email me or whatever. <laughs> we'll have a nice email correspondence. Yeah. Um, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. So we moved up here in May, 2015. So almost, almost seven years ago. And it was like the hardest, best decision ever. And we really spread our wings. It was like culture shock, climate shock, geographic shock, accent shock. I totally lost my Texas accent. I used to have this like cute Southern drawl and now I sound like a Minnesota hockey man. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah. And then, and then, uh, fully deconstructed from Christianity. Like I, David was about a year ahead of me in his process. <clears throat> so, there was a point in like early 2015 when I gave him an ultimatum and I was like, it's me and Jesus or nothing, buddy. Like I will divorce your ass if you don't like, I didn't care if we went to church, but I was terrified of, of him being like, I don't believe that I need Jesus to be my Lord and savior so that I can like go to heaven. I was terrified of that. And I was terrified of what that meant for like our kids. Like, what about, what are we going to teach the children? So <clears throat> we were like, that was when like the rockiness in our relationship started. And then, um, <clears throat> sorry, my voice is doing weird things. Um, so then we were kind of working through that and eventually I guess I kind of caught up and we were kind of, we kind of landed in the same place and amazingly, like we totally gave each other the freedom to believe whatever, but we kind of landed in a really similar place of like consciousness and spirituality, um, and like reincarnation and stuff like that. That's, kind of what we believe. Although his, his version of spirituality, which is, this is totally like a masculine and mine is totally more feminine, but his version of spirituality is like, like universe astral projection, like seeing orbs and UFOs. And mine is like, I'm going to pour my period blood on the earth, you know? <laughs> so we have that like polarity in our relationship. Um, but our beliefs are really, really similar now, which is, it feels like a really that's a big relief. Um, yeah, honestly, it feels like a relief. So in 2018, David, like kind of started having some sort of an identity crisis, um, a, adjustment disorder, like something like that. And basically everything that could go wrong in our lives did go wrong. Um, and it was seriously the hardest year of my life. And by the fall of 2018, like we, we had recommitted to our marriage and he was doing much better. He had gone to therapy and had done some EMDR and we were like in a better place financially and just all the things that broke in our lives, we had managed to fix. But by the like October of 2018, after holding it all together for so long, my body was like, we're done, like done. And so I started experiencing like really extreme anxiety, panic attacks, crazy bad insomnia, and then also like pelvic issues, like pelvic pain, heaviness, spasming in my urethra, like weird shit. And, um, went to the doctor finally in January of 2019, um, the GP and was like, I'm so anxious. I can't sleep. Like, I really just need something to help with anxiety. And she fucking tried to like prescribe me an SSRI and tell me I was depressed. And I was like, no bitch. Like I'm not depressed. I'm anxious as fuck. Like, and she's like, okay, fine. So she prescribed me 15, one, five half milligram Ativans and was like, don't come back and ask me for more. And here's your psychiatrist referral in September. 
So sometimes somehow I was supposed to make 15 half milligram anti-anxiety pills last for nine months. Like, yeah, it was great. It was bonkers. So then I wouldn't take them because I was afraid the next panic attack will be worse. Like, or, oh no, I can, I can do three more nights of not sleeping. And on the fourth night, then I'll take it. Like I was afraid to take them because I was afraid I would run out. So it was like very, very cruel. And then I started ideating suicide. And, um, on March 7th, 2019, I actually did attempt suicide by, um, it took me a couple months to come up with a plan, but the, the easiest and least messy way that I could think of was it's very cold where I live in Minnesota. And this was early March. And I was like, if I go outside without proper outerwear and get lost in the woods, like I'll freeze. And, and then I don't have to leave a mess in my house and my kids won't find me and my husband won't find me. It'll be search and rescue that finds me like, yeah. So thankfully my husband caught me brought me back inside. I checked myself into how did he find you? I know that that's not the most important part of the story, uh, because, uh, what I neglected to think about in all of my planning, you know, when you're in that state and your nervous system, you don't have access to your logical analytical brain. So like, I thought I had hatched this really great logical plan. What I hadn't considered was that we had 14 feet of snow that winter. And so when I started like walking into the woods, the snow, like came up to my waist And Mm. I couldn't get very far. And he like opened the door and saw me trying to get through the snow and was like, come back inside. Mm. So if, if, if we had had way less snow on the ground, like it, I would have, I would have probably succeeded. Oh man. Um, so I checked myself into the hospital voluntarily. Um, I spent five days there, uh, got on some, a, a pretty great cocktail of medication, Um, and then I promised myself before I took myself out that like the medication will not be forever. Um, and I am committing to myself to excavate and heal whatever it is that got me into this place. Mm. And that's what I've been doing ever since. So, um, in four days, I'm having my three-year anniversary of a suicide attempt and Yeah. And in the last three years, like I, I discovered the nervous system, um, the autonomic nervous system. I discovered that like all the little chronic and mysterious health things that I was trying to solve with toxic wellness culture was actually rooted in my nervous system. And that I was never going to out diet or out supplement my nervous system or my brain. Um, I discovered brain inflammation as a result of emotional trauma, physical trauma, um, vaccines, surgery, like so many things can cause brain injury and brain inflammation. So I started a protocol called the Nemechek protocol to reduce inflammation in my brain and help that. And, um, in, in a year I did two benzo tapers. Um, I've had a couple of relapses of insomnia right now. I'm in a little bit of a relapse of insomnia. Um, but yeah, never, never dreamed that I would start a business out of it. Like I was a food blogger at the time and loved loved being a food blogger. I made good money, like worked from home as my own boss, like loved it. But like March of 2020, this was even before the pandemic started officially. I was just like, you know, this has been a fun ride, but this is not my purpose anymore. Like, Right. So what am I going to (laughs) do? And I had started, um, I started my Instagram account that I have now in June of 2020. And I basically just started like posting pictures of myself with like 
you know, stories about different ways that I'd found myself or different ways that I was like noticing my inner child or whatever. And then in October of 2020, I started the podcast and then I started getting people asking me if I did coaching and I am a certified health coach. So I was like, well, I already have a coaching certification, but I hadn't, I hadn't thought about doing it at all for trauma. Like, right. I've just been digging my own self out and then sharing about it because I'm a really open, transparent kind of person. And like, I knew very early on that, like, it's people like me that are willing to heal publicly. That gives people who need to heal privately, the like empowerment to keep going. Yeah. So, um, that's very parallel to me in the fuck it diet. I just, yeah, yeah. I started a blog and just started writing about what I was learning and what I was going through and did not think it would become my job yeah, (laughs) like at all. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I mean, I I was that way with the food blog, honestly, like it was just something that I started to do as a hobby. And then it eventually morphed into me being like, wow, I can be really successful at this. Um, So now it's the same way with like my podcast and my Instagram account. And I do one-on-one coaching now and I run group programs and I have courses and, um, and the holistic trauma healing actually came, um, on July 31st, 2020. Um, I had just started the Instagram account and I was still learning how to regulate my nervous system. Um, I had finished a benzo taper like six months before and, I still couldn't figure out like how I was going to pivot from food blog to trauma healing. Like I, I just did not know how I was going to make that pivot. And, um, so I felt the call to do a psychedelic journey. And, um, so on July 31st, I took a tab and a half of acid and went into the woods. And that's when the universe gave me the phrase holistic trauma healing. And like, there was like spiders all over that day, like actual ones. I wasn't hallucinating them. Um, and the universe just like truly like downloaded it all and not all, I mean, it was, it's the universe has continued to add to it. Like as I gain new levels of awareness, I get more information about it, but like, I don't say at all that, like, I came up with this, that I invented it, that I like patented it, like protocol essentially, like, 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 or or just the name. Yeah. Then the name and then the whole process of like, uh, like awareness and consciousness, uh, reducing brain inflammation, reducing lifestyle inflammation, which is something I like talk about a lot and then reducing nervous system dysregulation. Right. And so that all kind of like made sense in, in that moment. Yeah. It just, it just like came and it continues to come and like new things keep getting added to it. And I don't like, I don't feel like holistic trauma healing, like I, I believe that it is its own entity. And that's like how, honestly, I'm sorry that I keep saying this, but that is how I feel about the fuck a diet. And I always have. Yeah. I feel it is like beyond I am me. In, yes. It is beyond me. It's yes. beyond me. I yes. know it. And, and I like, I channel it. Like I channel it. It is an entity and I am in service of it, you know? And so like, yeah. And it's like completely found, I found my purpose. I fucking love it. Um, it's scary as hell sometimes still, but I really love it. And I I also believe that like holistic trauma healing, it's its own consciousness, right. As an entity, it's its own consciousness. And so I know there's a lot of people doing 
this kind of stuff at the intersection of like spirituality and trauma healing. Like, mm-hmm. I know that I'm not the only person doing that. I mean, there's a lot of really, really big people like Dr. Nicola Perra who are doing this. I don't see myself in competition with those people at all. Like their work has its own consciousness and its own frequency that attracts the people that are meant for it. My work has its own consciousness and its own frequency that attracts the people who are meant for that. And like, I believe that because we're in this crucial time as a collective on the planet with like awakening everywhere that there are millions of people like me and like Nicola Perra and like you, and we all have our own work. That's its own stream of consciousness and its own frequency that magnetizes the people that need to find it because without all of us doing that, like the planet isn't going to wake up, you know? Right. And so my, my whole, like my little slogan in my business is wake up and regulate. Like that's, that's what we do. <laughs> right. And I want to talk, I want to talk about what that, obviously there's a lot that goes into it, but I want to talk a little bit about what that looks like. But I also just want to say, if anyone's listening to this and has heard me talk about the artist's way before, or any, you know, even like big magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, it's very much about being a channel for you know, that creativity is us like being open to bringing things that we cannot see into the world that we can see. Yeah. Um, And that changed my life too. And the fuck it diet also was something that came through that name. Uh, So it's just, it's crazy. It's so cool. Yeah. Um, Okay. So, so we're almost at an hour. So I, but I want to like talk just a little bit about some of the things that you learned, like, what are some of the big things that you learned about the nervous system and regulating your nervous system that, that you, that you think would be, I don't know, helpful for people who don't understand much about it at all to, to hear. Yeah. So, I mean, in, in nearly three years of doing this work, like I have learned to see every human being as a nervous system and that has allowed me to have so much more compassion and empathy for people who before I saw as like bad. Right. And I, I realize now that in a state of dysregulation, we are all literally capable of anything like the most horrific, bad, awful things. We are all capable of those things in a dysregulated state. And so there, of course, people need to be held accountable for their actions and like, you know, brought to justice and all of that kind of stuff for sure. But hurting people hurt people. And so hurting people have dysregulated nervous systems. And it's almost like their hurt is too much for them to hold. So it's like a game of hot potato. So it's like, I can't hold this hurt because it's too much for me. So I'm throwing it at you hoping that maybe you can hold it. And that just perpetuates like more trauma, right? Um, So when I learned to see everyone as a nervous system and everyone has their own state and some people have more resilient nervous systems and some people have less resilient nervous systems, um, everyone is doing the best they can in the nervous system state that they're in. And that it is absolutely possible with awareness, first of all, to tap into your nervous system and work with it to create more capacity to hold 
so that you can hold your own pain instead of tossing it at somebody else, like a hot potato. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then also like the, the spiritual part of it is an acceptance that like we are each incarnated on the planet at this time for, for a specific purpose. Like our souls chose to be here at this time. And it's because each of us plays a role in the awakening of the collective, but also for our own individual healing. And I don't believe that in a dysregulated state, we can access that. Right. So it's not just about not hurting other people, but it's also about like coming into the, the full awareness of who you are and what you're here to do. Um, and I believe I've never heard anybody else say this. And so maybe this is another download that I got from, from holistic trauma healing from the entity. Um, but I think our nervous systems are like a radio antenna and it's like when the radio antenna, when we're born, we're all born with access to like our highest selves and the essence of who we are. And then as we grow and develop as children, our ego develops and we have adults in our lives who are throwing the hot potato at us. And we have to somehow figure out a way to adapt and live with that and survive in order to get our basic needs met and to receive love and connection and co-regulation. Um, and so that's when the, the radio antenna starts to be tuned from the station of the highest self or the true essence. And like the dial starts getting turned more towards um, the station of like the ego. And our, I believe the nervous system is itself like a neutral, a neutral thing. It's just the radio receiver that gets tuned to the dial of the ego or tuned to the dial of the highest self. And when you're tuned to the dial of the ego, that's when the nervous system is dysregulated. You've got a lot of fear, anxiety, panic, physical symptoms, like chronic health symptoms, things like that. Um, because it, it's like the station that like has a lot of static and like a lot of interference in it. And then as you like work on the antenna, then it can tune more to the station of the highest self. And that's when you feel more alignment and flow and regulation and creativity and purpose and all of that. So like my mission is to help people tune their dial to their highest self by like regulating the radio receiver. Can you talk <laughs> about just some, I know that there's way more that goes into this, but some of the ways that you yourself work on your dial yeah. your nervous yeah <laughs> totally and um, also like in addition to that like how did you discover this in the first place and what was the first kind of thing that you did that you realized was gonna like that you realized it was actually gonna help okay so the first thing that I discovered in uh early or late 2019 was the work of a lady named Annie Hopper and she developed a program called the Dynamic Neural Retraining System, DNRS. Um, and her work primarily focuses on the limbic part of the brain, the limbic system, which is not the autonomic nervous system. But I, I read everything, I watched her videos, I ordered her program, and I started doing it. For me, it was like too much work. <laughs> it was a lot of work. It was like you had to devote time every single day to doing these things. And then throughout the day you were like, I mean, it was awareness and brain retraining. She talks a lot about neuroplasticity, like all of that was involved, but it was like a very intense program. And 
I mean, after I did it for a month, I was like, I hate this. I can't sustain this. Right. But a lot of people have had a lot of success with her program. And so I'm not, I'm not dissing it at all, but, um, it wasn't an embodied program. And so the difference for me, and to answer your other question about what are the ways that I work with my nervous system is it's like, we create neuroplasticity with awareness and then being in our bodies. So moving differently, right? Like you can't think differently if you're not able to move differently. So moving differently. So, I mean, I do a lot of like returning to my like primitive wild nature. So being in nature is a huge one for me, like in 2019 and 2020 and 2021, any chance that I have, especially if it's warm outside to go outside and like, I will pet moss. I will hug trees. I will put a blanket in my grass and lay in the sun. And like just grounding myself in nature was huge. Um, another thing that I like, just for anyone listening, like grounding is, you know, some people, when some people talk about grounding, they mean like connect with the earth. And when some people talk about grounding, they mean get back into your body. But the point is it's like this, they're, they're the same. It's both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's both. Um, so like letting myself off the hook, letting myself rest, you know, like I've Huge. always been a doer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been a doer and not a beer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so I, I base my worth and my productivity a lot. There's a lot of perfectionism and performance. Um, and so really having to like titrate my ability to handle rest because at first rest was like, fuck this. Like, no, I need to be busy. Right. Right. Um, so I had to start small and like, you know, lay on the blanket in the yard for 10 minutes. And then that was it. That's all I could handle that day Mm -hmm. because there was too much going on in my brain because our thoughts reflect the state of our nervous system. So if your nervous system is really dysregulated, then your thoughts are like a pinball machine, right? right? They're like all over the place. Um, so restful activities are dysregulating because they're unfamiliar and whatever Mm. is familiar to our nervous systems is safe. That doesn't necessarily mean that whatever's familiar is healthy or Mm. functional Mm -hmm. or, or peaceful, right? Like for most people, their familiar is like chaotic and dysregulation. Um, and then they subconsciously seek out drama and chaos in their lives because that's the familiar state of their nervous system. Mm-hmm. So just, just rest and like giving myself a lot of time and space to, um, walk around the woods, lay on a blanket in my yard to this day, laying on a blanket in my yard in the sun is like my number one favorite nervous system tool. Amazing. <laughs> I want to do that after this. It's such a sunny day. <laughs> oh, I'm jealous. Um, I'm warm, jealous, but well, it's funny. Well, I can't lay on a blanket. I can't lay on a blanket because I have like eight feet of snow outside my window. Right, 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 right. right. It's like, I got a couple months before I can do it. But um, yeah, what else was I going to say other than nature, laying on a blanket in my yard? Um, Oh, like I had to unlearn a lot of the, you know, the programming of like being quiet as a woman and like women don't express rage or anger and like really just letting myself like go into the woods and like scream my fucking head off and like growl and stomp my feet on the ground and like lay on the ground and kick and scream and throw a fit like a toddler. Like I needed to let myself do that. Do you see it as like old energy that needs to be released? Absolutely. Yeah. That's how I see it too. Yeah. Cause it's like your nervous system is like, it's like a bucket, right? It's like a bucket. And 
the shit from your childhood and repressed emotions and abuse and trauma and, you know, systemic trauma, like racism or poverty. And then also like individual trauma, like having an abusive father or your uncle who molested you or something like that. Like all of that has to be mitigated through by your nervous system, right? Like your nervous system has to deal with all of that input. And so the bucket begins to get full. So everything gets added to the bucket and it gets fuller and fuller and fuller. And then eventually it's like overflowing. And that's when you're like, you know, about to kill yourself where you're having 20 panic attacks a day, or you're not sleeping or your guts all messed up. Or like, you just feel like you're in a dark night of the soul when the bucket Mm -hmm. is like overflowing. Mm -hmm. And so I do think that part of, of bailing some of the water out of the bucket is discharging the shit that was in the bottom of the bucket. Mm -hmm. So like being angry, expressing rage, expressing grief, like grieving that you didn't have the childhood that you should have had or the parents that you deserved or the, the attachment that you needed, like grieving all of that. And that actually frees up some space in the bucket so that it maybe isn't overflowing quite as much. Right. And, and then you can also do like, you know, I call it nervous system hygiene, but it's like a daily practice that you do with the intention of like, this is good for my nervous system. So that can be stretching yoga, um, pelvic floor, physical therapy was a huge one for me that also really helped me reconnect with my body because Mm. growing up as a Christian, like anything below the waist was like off limits, except for like meeting my husband's needs and having babies. So like being able to reconnect to my pelvis and my womb and my pelvic floor, um, through pelvic floor, physical therapy also had trickle down effects in my nervous system. Right. Cause um, there was probably a lot that was being held there too. There still is. Right. There and, and like is. some people talk about, um, nervous system work as like, well, because fight or flight there and freeze, Mm -hmm. it's like, there's a freezing of the energy in our Mm -hmm. bodies because it's too painful. And we don't know, we're afraid of it and we don't know how, how to handle it. And we don't trust that we can feel it without like going into a a dark hole and never coming out. And so there's like a thawing Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it can feel, I mean, uh, in my experience, it can feel worse temporarily, like as you reconnect kind of like what you were talking about, like you could only lay on the blanket for so long before you were like, okay, okay. Too much. Yeah. Oh, Molly's going to try to dig through the hardwood. Please don't, (laughs) please don't. Oh, okay. That was better than usual, (laughs) but, um, there's a lot there that needs to be like felt and released and it can feel really overwhelming, especially if you don't know anything about it and you don't know that it's safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, but like some people describe it as like a freeze when you are like stuck in that trauma state. And then it of course gets stored in different places in your body. She's mm-hmm. like, my dog is like digging on the side. I don't, you probably can't even hear it, but I actually can a little bit. Oh, you see, Yeah. <laughs> um, and then when you start to, you know, and, and one of the ways that I, one of the biggest things that was like such a light bulb to me um, was this idea that like, when we go through a traumatic experience, we don't know how to process it in the moment because none of us were taught that. So we leave our bodies Mm -hmm. and we go up into our minds or Mm -hmm. we, or we like literally dissociate from our bodies entirely, or we like, we kind of like retract our awareness 
out of our, like below our neck. Yeah. And so we don't have to feel it because it, we don't know how, um, and it can be really, really hard for people to, to even begin to try and come, come back down. I say like, come back down into our bodies because inherently when you're embodied, you're, you have to come face to face with what was frozen a long time ago. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and, and without understanding that we're going to keep avoiding it because it feels so horrible and no one's told us that, you know, that it's normal. And yeah, that's like the biggest thing. Um, like the reason people come to me to work with me that, that we work together on is most of them have done the toxic wellness culture thing. They've been trying to diet and supplement and all that kind of stuff. And they're still experiencing things and they have a very good intellectual understanding of, I know I have trauma. I know that this is what happened to me. I know this is why I'm stuck. Like they have a very, very good intellectual understanding. And I see my job as like, I hold their hand and facilitate them to go from having an intellectual understanding to an embodied understanding, Mm -hmm. because it's like, it's, it's not that far to go from your head to your body, but it can feel like it's like the furthest distance You can't heal trauma in your head. No, you can't. And that's why, that's why I'm not a fan of talk therapy. You're never going to heal it by talking about it ever. Like it can be nice to have somebody to talk to, but that's not how you're going to heal it. You can get clarity. You can like, for sure. You can like get more intellectual. Yeah. Yeah, You get more intellectual understanding. But I think the, the problem in our modern day culture, especially in the West is we're like, information is like a drug to us. And we're like addicted to information, which is intellectual understanding. Right. But none of that information is helping us have embodied understanding of things. So we can take in all the information. We can take in all the science. We can do all of that and still feel completely frozen and freaked out in our bodies because we don't know how to take the intellectual understanding and, and embody it. And like, and it requires movement. <laughs> like you need to move, you need to get around and crawl around on the floor and you need to shake and you need to be in nature and hug trees and like swim. And, and I do cold plunges. Like that's another one that I really, really love. Cause I live next to Lake Superior and it's always cold. Um, so yeah, I like to help people find that the path from their head to their body mm. and like learn how to walk that path. Uh, well, that's a perfect place for you to tell people <laughs> where they can find you to learn how to go from their head to their body. Oh, thank you. <laughs> this is um, so great. This is gonna be, like, I seriously, I'm not even kidding. I want to watch the movie. I want to watch the Lindsay and David movie. Well, find me a filmmaker who will make a documentary out of it or something. <laughs> um, yeah. So on Instagram, I'm at, I am Lindsay Lockett and Lindsay is with an EY, not an AY. Um, and, um, my podcast is the holistic trauma healing podcast. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, and then oh, and there, I, there are spider webs on it. I think that's where you were going mm-hmm. with the spider thing, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> the, the spider, you know, I hate spiders and of course the universe would use spiders as the, the way for me to learn all of this. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother thing. We could do a bonus episode about 
about spiders about acid acid trips and and weaving weaving your web man like like I was I was sorry I know you want me to tell people how it worked but I just can't I can't not share this like last summer um I was on a walk um in the woods and I took my dog Lachlan with me who's a bearded collie um and I turned the corner on the path and if the sun had been in a different place, if I had gone there 10 minutes earlier or 10 minutes later, I would have missed it. Like the timing was perfect, but I turned the corner and the sun like caught the, it would like lit up a little spider web from behind. And I wouldn't have seen it if the right. sun hadn't caught it. But so there was this glistening spider web and it was tiny. I mean, it was so tiny and it was in the middle of two trees. So it was like, like a three foot strand and a three foot strand connecting it, anchoring it to the trees. And then this teeny, teeny, tiny little spider weaving, it was weaving its web. And so I stopped because now I'm infatuated with spiders and spider webs, even though they still creep me out. Um, so I stopped and I'm like watching the spider web and I was just observing everything the spider was doing. And what I observed was that first of all, in order to even start building its web, the spider has to have anchor points, right? Mm. It has to anchor, it has to anchor to something. Um, and so the anchor points in our lives are, are who we are as whole people. But what makes us up as whole people is not just our physical body. It's also our minds, our emotions, our spirits and our ancestry. Those are our anchor points. Right. So the spider has to anchor first, and then it builds, it starts to build its web. And then what I noticed about this spider was it was like, it created the little circle on the outside and then it went to the inside and it started there. And it like had this, you know, the little spiral of Mm -hmm. how it was going was like such tight knit little threads of the web and it built that first and then it was working its way out. Well, then Lachlan, the dog comes along and he has this floofy tail Mm. and he was wagging his tail and his tail hit the web just slightly. It didn't, it didn't mess it up. He did that. He did that later. (laughs) Um, but in that moment he didn't mess it up, but I was watching the spider and what happened was like, it was the coolest thing ever. It gives me chills to this day to talk about it. But as soon as that spider like felt the, his tail hit one of those anchor webs, um, the spider dropped down like really quick, dropped down and then dropped right back up. And it went to the very center of the web. And it was like the universe said right then, like it anchored first and then it created a place of safety for itself. So if whatever happened, it could, it could go back to that place of safety and it had to create that first before it could weave the rest of its web. And like, that's the metaphor that I have for my work. My life is like, anchor in to who you are as a whole person and then create safety for yourself so that as you expand, you always have a place of safety to come back to. Like gives me tears. I love it. it. (laughs) I love it. So anyway, um, yeah, podcast, holistic trauma healing. It has a spider rub on it. (laughs) (laughs) And then I do one-on-one coaching. Um, people can email me if they want or DM me on Instagram. Um, cause it's application only to work with me. And then I have, a group program that I do called nervous system hygiene. Um, I have a course on my website. People can buy, it's called belief beyond the binary, which is all about like binary belief systems and 
cult mentality and what that looks like in our nervous systems and how to find our way out of that sort of a thing. So it doesn't matter what, if it's religion, diet, culture, um, vaccines, like whatever it is, like anywhere that you're noticing binary, uh, thinking in your life is an indicator that your nervous system is in a binary place because Mm. life and death is the most binary thing there is. Right. Right. And the whole point of our nervous systems is our survival. So it's, it's a life and death system. Right. Um, so And it's very, very, very difficult, if not impossible for people who are in that binary place in their nervous system to be able to hold complexity and nuance and different beliefs and opinions and not see things so black and white. So Mm -hmm. I have belief beyond the binary for that. And then I also have a membership. Um, It's an online community called the Trauma Healer Circle, and people can join that on my website too, which is lindsaylockett.com. Yay. I feel like Thank I just did that you. really, really fast. No, it's no, it's good. And I'll link, I'll link to, to how to find you. Um, this has been so amazing. Thank you yeah, so much. You're welcome. Fine. Fine. I said I wasn't going to do an outro, but then it just seemed like it was too anticlimactic. So can I talk about something? Is it anticlimactic or anticlimactic? I really don't know anti-climatic yeah it's climactic but don't people say anti-climatic you know what I mean I've never known and I've never been brave enough to ask so I'm asking you now I'm asking someone who can't respond I'm asking people who can't respond what a shame all right well thanks for listening I will be back you can I have been told by the powers that be at Substack that once I finally migrate my podcast to Substack, Substack, you will be able to listen on Substack, I think, or you'll be able to listen right where you're listening now without doing anything and you won't need to worry about anything because the feed won't be interrupted. Sounds fishy to me, but that's what I've been told. And if it's not true, as I've said, I won't mess things up. Ah, whatever. Everything's going to be fine. I'm going to podcast again (laughs) before I die. Probably unless I die before I'm planning to, like really soon, which I'm not planning on, but I I can't control it. So I I hope to podcast again pretty soon. That's all I can tell you. And it's going to be great. I have great guests planned. (laughs) Do you believe me? Oh my God, I have to stop. I, I literally had to I had to go back and okay goodbye thank you so much I'm blaming this all on my foggy brain Mm, bye